Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your host, Jeff and Lonnie Jenkins. Hello, friends. Lonnie on this side. And Jeff on this end, glad again to be with you. Uh, our subject matter is going to be a very unique one. We're going to let the teacher begin uh, today's program on why a blood, why a blood sacrifice, why the need for blood. So we're going to ask Brother Lonnie to take it from there. We are uh, delving into a range that I think all of us have wondered, why did God choose such a thing as the shedding of blood? Paul wrote to the Hebrews in chapter 9, he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And I, have, <clears throat> I had pondered for years, excuse me, for why uh, did God choose blood? Why didn't he choose mm -hmm. coconut milk? Right. Why didn't he choose something that was not so messy as yeah. blood? Yeah. But when we go through the scriptural pattern, oh, it becomes magnificent yeah. to see uh, what this really, really means to us because it's much deeper than, than the normal uh, Christian church would teach it. Mm -hmm. And of course, unknown to the, to the, what we'll call pagan churches or other religions. But no matter, no matter what religion a person is in, the one God, the God of the Bible, the only God there is, has said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So consequently, this is an extremely important subject especially if you don't know if you are under the blood or not, because that's the approach to God. And so we find then that right from the beginning, all the way back with the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when, when this whole episode of civilization as we know it uh, started, that when Adam and Eve fell from the Word in their sin, and then Adam tried to provide his own covering, his own approach to God, and so he tried to cover his nakedness with fig leaves. It was not acceptable to God. And then God had to cover him with skins. Now, re the word religion means covering. So here's, here's his covering now as skins, but it's not the skins that provided his access to God. It was the shedding of blood. The skin was the result to cover his nakedness. But God shed the very first blood to make a way for his first two little children, Adam and Eve, and then what was to result from there. And so that fall started, and that initiation in Eden started the process of the shedding of blood. And it was laying a, a foundation for everything that is to come uh, with animal sacrifice and on up to the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But we'd like to go into today and probably with our next program also, it's because it's a vast subject, very deep subject and wonderful subject, and so we want you to stay with us now as we, as we talk about blood, shed blood for the remission of sin. Jeff, would you like yeah, to start on? Exploring uh, the reasons for something as violent as the shedding of one's blood. And yet, as we look out through society and look out over the world, and we look over in history, we find that uh, all nations and all races, all tribes, had some form of sacrifice whether it was uh, the offering of fruit, but in most cases it was the shedding of blood, uh, self-mutilation, flagellation. Even in America today, tattoos and the inflicting of pain upon the body and mutilation of the body, it all, I believe, stems from a deep sense of guilt 
rooted and shame rooted in the heart of man that only the blood of Jesus Christ can atone for. I believe that man uses all forms of atonement, self-made, man-made atonement to try to atone for the need for a sacrifice. So we find uh, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that only by the blood of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, can a man be utterly free from the shame and guilt. In fact, the word uses, the Bible uses the word, we, we use the word free, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed through the blood, but in reality, a man can be justified by the blood. That means all of his sins can be dipped in the Clorox bleach of the blood of Jesus Christ, like black ink in a pail of Clorox bleach, and they can be completely removed from him. Yet society, I, I marvel at even religious institutions, Lonnie, how that mankind will use um, all forms of man-made ways to atone for their own mistakes. Uh, Self-flagellation. Uh, the Muslims flagellate themselves. The Hindus, although they wouldn't slay an animal, uh, will flagellate themselves. They'll beat themselves on the back. They'll hang uh, large weights uh, filled with water on their back. Uh, they'll march through the street bleeding and bloody. You go to the Philippines today and they do mock crucifixions where they actually put a person on the cross and he's bleeding and he's bloody and they flagellate themselves. Uh, I believe you were there and saw that yourself, did you not? <laughs> I was there one year. Yeah. And one man that uh, saw to it that he got nailed on the cross every year actually had a piece of uh, metal permanently made through his hand. Incredible. Where, so that they had a place to nail the scar. My. And he said the first few times that he did it, it hurt so bad he wanted to make it easier on himself. So, so but they still, they put those nails in and then he looked like it. Then, then in their marches, I've seen it, they, they take little tiny razor blades. Well, the yeah. razor blades aren't so tiny, but the cuts are tiny. Right. And the back, of, the back of a human actually bleeds easy. Mm. And so they just make these little bitty tiny cuts on their back, which would start the blood going. Yeah. And then they'd take this stick with the many heads on it, maybe leather or, or something that My. would whip. Yeah. And then they'd start whipping their back, and then that would start spreading the blood. And so in just a little while in their march, their black back looked like it was absolutely raw. Oh. It wasn't so much, but it sure was bloody but they're claiming to atone for their own sins. Exactly right. Which, is, which I think is an absolute slap in the face of God right. who has provided the only way right. that, um, that sin, sins can be atoned for. So it's but not, we, were, yeah. we were talking yeah. earlier and, and you, you were bringing up to me that some people think Christianity actually sprung out of paganism because pagans right. use blood. Right. And then we remembered, no, back in Eden, there was blood. That's right. And you were, you were talking about some of the things you were reading about in, in pagan religions and maybe down in Central and South America. Well, I was finding it very interesting that the, uh, that the articles I read were very humanistic. And in these articles, they were actually trying to say that, that the heathens of old were doing this way before Christianity ever uh, got into the shedding of blood. But the fact remains is that in the Garden of Eden, we find that Jesus, that God Almighty came down, slew an animal, as you said recently, and that blood was shed for Adam and Eve, and God covered Adam and Eve with coats of skin, 
And thereafter, Adam began to offer sacrifices, the fats of the lamb, Abraham offered sacrifices. Thereafter, mankind began to use blood sacrifices of animals to atone for sin, to find forgiveness for sin. And thereafter, the world was populated in all tribes. It was deeply rooted in every society, in every religion, and in every race to try to find some form of atonement. Now, the further they left God, the further they got away from the Bible, the further they got away from uh, Judaism and Christianity, the more perverse and distorted and even violent the yeah. forms of self-atonement became. Uh, they would, for instance, the Mayans would offer human sacrifices. The Aztecs would not only offer human sacrifices, but then they would cannibalize their victims and they offered the blood to appease their gods, maybe the gods of war or the gods of fertility or the gods of to, to, uh, to create greater gardens and more food. But they felt that the gods were sort of these ill-tempered individuals up there that they always had to try to appease. And if the weather got bad, they would, they would uh, find a bunch of other people to offer the sacrifices and they would pull out their hearts and they would then eat their bodies to embody their life and uh, I, I see, what I see in all of this is a perversion of the genuine atonement, Jesus Christ. And what? he even said in John 6, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And what he was referring to was is his word, his body word, we'll call it. And so we were, when we feed on the word of God, we're eating his flesh. When we uh, take communion, for instance, we're in type. That wine represents, it is not the blood, but it represents the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's deeply rooted in the psyche of man, in the soul of man, to have somebody or something atone for sin. Yeah, the, the principles, I, I hope we don't go too, too deep uh, here for you, because I know a lot of our audience are not very uh, well read in the Bible but when Jesus established the first communion and said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And then he offered the bread, said, this is my body, this is my blood, mm -hmm. as he passed the wine around. And uh, it, it, the, whole, the Bible is so deep with layers and layers and layers of symbolism, all, all having meaning. And of course, when a thought is expressed, that's a word. So a word is a thought expressed. So in the mind of God was this plan, we'll, we'll say now, just focusing now on salvation. And so when, when the, uh, this thought began to materialize into our kinsman redeemer, which is Jesus Christ, began to materialize into that, then his flesh became the manifestation of the thought. So mm -hmm. his flesh represents the word. That's why he said that my, my flesh is, is word, food indeed, bread indeed, word. Right. And so, so now that's the flesh. But now the scripture also says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Right. So now we've got two things right there. We, we've got the life that's in the blood and then the blood is in the flesh. And so we've got two, two things here that become extremely essential to us. And I hope you'll keep that in mind. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So there's some kind of a life in the blood. The blood is not the, not the life. It's a chemistry. But there is a blood in the life excuse me, a life in the blood, and then, and then that's what sustains the body. And so that, that thought process just continues to go on and on and on and on. And I haven't stopped there with it. And for the, you that are spiritual minded, your mind has already leaped way ahead of me. 
But we're just going to kind of build on, build on that now that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Life of the flesh is in the blood. That's scripture I'm quoting. And so now we go back then. If, if Jesus had to die to shed that blood, then there's something about that blood that was different than any other man's blood. Mm -hmm. Because we would say, why didn't Moses die and become the sacrifice? Why didn't Joshua die and become the sacrifice? How about Elijah or Elisha? They were all mighty men of God. But there was something about that blood, that virgin-born blood, that was very, very special. And that's, that's where it now becomes essential to us to comprehend these things. And I'm kind of unveiling it to you slowly because I want to bait you into thinking with this. And now, now all Christianity, all yeah. the Christians, they all claim we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 7 says, and you've heard me repeat this scripture many times, that we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So consequently now, there's no, it isn't just, I believe that Jesus went to Calvary and died for me. It isn't just that. We've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what Israel had to do when the, when the pillar of fire moved, when the cloud moved, they had to move with it. And God has been moving in his word through the ages. We all hear about the Reformation and how that how that coming out of the, the dark ages with Luther's movement, the Protestant movement, and reforming the church. Well, God hasn't stopped that. The only thing of it is, it's not a true reformation, it's a restoration. And so God, is, God the, the seed word was planted, and now that seed word has been maturing into something that's harvestable. And then that's what the, what's been going on during our Gentile ages, all the way from the Apostle Paul at the Church of Ephesus, uh, coming on up to this age that God has been moving and the error of organized religion, denominational systems, is that they build a fence around what their founder taught, which probably was the light at that time, could very well have been. But then they build a fence around that and then when the, when the light moves on, the people, the system can't move with it. And so they stop and now they're no longer walking in the light as he was in the light. I'll give you an easy way to understand that for those of you that are Christian and know anything about the history of your own church. They'll point back to the supernatural and the miracles that were there in their midst at the beginning. Why? Because they were in the light as God was in the light. And so therefore the blessings of God, the power of God, the anointing of God was there with them. But then as they organized their, uh, wrote their creeds and said, this is what we believe, period. But God wasn't finished unveiling. And so he starts moving on, and now the light has moved. The church now is no longer demonstrating the fact that it's the body of Christ. It becomes an institution, mm -hmm. and it's almost no more than a lodge because people of like mind gather together at this lodge and meet every Sunday, but the supernatural power of God that was in, Luther, in Luther's movement, in Paul, Irenaeus, Martin, Columba, all those mighty men of God that were messengers to, from God to various ages coming up in the Gentile ages, the supernatural was there because that's where the light was at that time. And now they're all just dying, dying, dying. Why? Because the light has moved on. And so we've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have the benefits of the blood. And the blood, that's our subject. And so we're going to continue yeah. on now. We want to just keep 
moving this back and forth until you get all the pieces of the puzzle regarding this blood. Did you, did you want to add anything yeah, at this when, point? When I, when I think of the blood, and I think of um, a Sadducee or a Pharisee or a priest taking a lamb under his arm, and God is moving on to shed more light. So here they are with a lamb underneath their arm. They're heading towards the temple. The temple has been rent in twain. Christ has died and has been buried and has resurrected, and his blood is now uh, capable of atoning for all of man's sins. But because they're not walking in the light and they're living in the glow of another day, they're bringing a little lamb and they're slitting the throat of that lamb and no longer will the light of a former age atone for sin. And so what you're saying in essence too is, is that the blood follows the opening or revealing of the Word of God. Absolutely. So that as God reveals more, that blood is atoning for that, uh, the, the Word is atoning for that blood. In other words, um, we go back to that term, the bleeding word. And so what we have is, is we have the word of God uh, being preached and the light being spread. And with that is saving grace. And that God says, I'll bless that with salvation. So in other words, I, we can take this into heathenism very easily and see primitive man and even see it in, in some of the older institutions within the framework of Christianity, how that they've gone to Hail Marys or novenas or penances or um, some form of, of self-flagellation. And their resurrection, they're resurrecting, by the way, Brother Lonnie, they're resurrecting the Catholic churches to some degree. They have sects that are now flagellating themselves because they believe that this is going to bring them closer to God. This is a greater form of purification. They believe that by flagellation, they can also uh, atone for and help those loved ones that are in purgatory, which is a myth. It's not reality. Purgatory is not biblical. But they believe that they're going to allow them to not have as many years in purgatory by purging themselves by their own works and their own deeds. And as you said a moment ago, that actually, that really is an affront to God because He has provided a way through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing that we can do in the way of works to atone or to gain the favor of God, if there's one thing, then Christ died in vain. Right. Scripture says we are accepted in the beloved. Yes. And that was Christ. So yeah. our, accept, our acceptance is, is in Christ. Yeah. And by one spirit, we get into that body of Christ. And so this body of Christ that we belong to, we can't get into it without the shedding of blood. Let me read you an article uh, from uh, a man who had done some history on, the, uh, on primitive uh, rituals. He says, primitive man, primitive man regarded himself as being in debt to the spirits, as standing in need of redemption. The soul must be ransomed, and there must be a scapegoat provided. The headhunter, in addition to practicing the cult of skull worship, was able to provide a substitute for his own life, escape man. Mm -hmm. That's not interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, they would go out, they would kill a man, cannibalize him, and then preserve the skull and this was all a form of worship, but the escape man would atone for their sin. So even in the darkest jungles, man has a sense of not being right with his creator. Yeah, let me, add, right let me add God. here, they, they, yeah. use the proper, they use the proper word there. But yeah. The Bible used the term scapegoat. Yeah. And, and that, of course, types Christ. Yeah. And so the, the sins of the people were put on this goat that was taken out and released in the wilderness. And of course, 
when Jesus had paid the price for our sins, his scripture says his soul descended into hell. My. And he preached to the souls that were in prison, in prison there. So there was a scapegoat taking our sins right with him. It says he who knew no sin became our sin that we might be the righteousness of God. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus was sinless, perfectly and entirely sinless. In his 33 years of living on earth, Jesus was tempted because he was in a body, but without sin. He was tempted in every manner, but without sin. And that perfect animal uh, we, we, in the Old Testament had to be without spot or blemish. And Jesus was a perfect lamb without spot or blemish, never had sinned. And then God, the Bible says in Acts, through the ordination and counsel of God, allowed wicked men to crucify the Lord Christ, have him, uh, his blood spilt, and that blood dripped from that cross down onto the ground and began a ability now for man to be redeemed back to God through the bloody blood uh, of a perfect lamb. And it says in Revelations that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world. Right. So all of the Old Testament sacrifices, all the lambs, all the turtle doves, all the goats were merely a shadow of the great Lamb of God to come so that all of these religions that still to this day, whether it's flagellation or the offer of animal sacrifices as the Muslims still do and the Jews want to reinstitute it, all of those were merely shadows pointing to the fulfillment which was Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He had to die. His blood had to be shed because it was not the blood of a man. It was the blood of God. Mm -hmm. So the blood of God was shed. The creative blood of God was shed in a man. And the beautiful thing now is, is that that blood life, the life of that blood, can come back upon the believer in the form of the Holy Ghost. So if a person repents, that means that he accepts by faith the blood of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in India, and I was bringing out this very illustration about the blood of Jesus Christ. And all these Muslim, uh, or I should say Hindu, yeah. um, holy men were there. And they were shocked. They said, why would a man have to shed blood to atone for sin? And, and, they, and they had a genuine reason to be shocked. They had never ever heard, never had it entered their mind that, that a man, a, a living human being, would have to die a violent death by, by the predetermined counsel of God, we have to die a violent death, and that blood would atone for their sins. And so we, we began the meeting, but there were so many questions, we had to have another meeting the next mm. day so that they could understand the basic principles of one man atoning for the sins of the world. And in uh, the Bible, it says that in Adam, all died. Yeah, we all fell. Yeah. Yeah. Every one of us fell. Every one of us were, were condemned to hell because of our forefather, Adam, having sinned. But it says in the second Adam, Christ, all can live again. Mm -hmm. Not the second Adam plus Hail Marys, not the second Adam plus Novenas, not the second Adam plus flagellation. Nothing can atone for man's sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The songwriter said, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. If we add any other ingredient to the blood of Jesus Christ, we've made the blood of none effect. Yeah, I see. Well, in fact, I was talking to a lady uh, not, not too very long ago, and she was actually renting an apartment that uh, was near me. And uh, I was asking her you know, about her walk, if she was right with God. And she says, I'm a good person. Mm. She says, I never hurt anyone, My. and I help everyone that I can. And she felt that her good works would 
qualify her to go to heaven. And that, that, is, that isn't even the issue in God's eyes. Not even the issue. No. Adam and Eve fell from the word. God is trying to get a people back to believing the word. That's, that's the issue. And then when we believe the word, we receive the benefits of the word. And then there is a life-changing portion that comes into the believer. Amen. And I want to reemphasize what Jeff said just, just a moment ago, that, that uh, when, when Jesus died at Calvary, that blood cell, remember I said the life of the flesh is in the blood, that blood cell was broken because the life that was in that blood cell was the very life of God. And so now that blood cell was broken at Calvary and that blood shed to atone, cover, make a way for us to be back, reconciled back to God. And then that life that was released out of that blood cell is now comes back in the form of the Holy Ghost on the believer for a transformed life. That's right. So consequently, all the works, the good works that we can do through our flesh, through our goodwill, through our good nature, means nothing to God. It has to be Christ living through the people. Amen. Christ Christianity is not rules and regulations of be good in this and do good to that. It's not that at all. Christianity is Christ himself living his life out through you. That Amen. is Christianity. And so few, few have it today, very few. Most people have church attendance and they have a relationship with church but they fail to have a relationship with Christ. And this next session now, we're actually going to get into the why of why blood. We got in, we laid the ground uh, work today of why, why blood is so essential. And we talked about what the blood did for you, but we did not yet tell you why did God choose blood. We'll get into that this very next session and I think you will find it extremely interesting because it's going to take us right back to the original sin in the Garden of Eden and that's where it all began. And so we're going to go back to that because we are aiming back to Eden and this message and Christ and the blood can take you to that place. God bless you, friends. Where did Adam and Eve go wrong? Why did their descendants fall? What caused this fall? What was the original sin? Did Eve really eat an apple, as they say? Tune in to us, get a hold of our website. We've got material available for you. This is gonna be a great subject. Friends, today's program is one of a four-part series entitled The Fall in Eden. All four are available on a single DVD. In addition to this series, Minister and Professor Stephen Strew examines this topic in greater depth on a DVD entitled The Original Sin. Your host, Brother Lonnie Jenkins, has also written a booklet called The Original Sin, which is available free of charge. To obtain these DVDs or the free booklet, write to us at Global Answers at 1695 Stewart Road in Lima, Ohio. Zip code here is 45801 here in the USA. Or visit us on the web at globalanswers.us. While there, look for a downloadable pamphlet entitled Serpent Seed with more information on today's subject. Thank you for joining us.